We've been in the midst of a number of episodes that I've been calling the questioning mini series that came from this space of recognizing that there are many people that for many reasons have questions for God or about God, about the church, about Christianity. There have been many wounds. There have been many moments of abuse. There have been many moments of disappointment. And Antonio's the first episode that didn't come from the direct post I sent, but from some interactions that we had. Antonio and I have known each other for a number of years. We both have a connection through Urban Promise, just in different cities. And God gave us the opportunity to connect on a deeper level. And I am incredibly grateful for his transparency in the episode you're about to hear. Now, I have to note that we recorded this a few days ago. I'm recording this on Thursday, January 7th. And yesterday, the Capitol was stormed by a large group of people. And and I won't get into the details of that here because that would take the whole episode. But what I will say is that Antonio and I ended up connecting again around what was happening and specifically the fact that Jesus' name was on display during the storming of the Capitol. His name was literally written on banners that were being flown through tear gas, through shouts, through broken windows, into spaces where those people were not allowed to be. And then those images were transmitted into the homes of people around the world who are now seeing the name of Jesus associated with an angry mob. And so I, I just want to acknowledge the reality that a moment like yesterday where believers were a part of it. There were believers that were there that were carrying the name of Jesus on a banner above their head. I want to acknowledge that a moment like that can lead to the very reason why this miniseries exists. The very reason why people are questioning how we can say that God is God and how God is good. Why people can question the love of Jesus. If you were in that position where the moments of yesterday negatively impacted your understanding of or feelings about God, I hear you and I understand. Yesterday was a rough day, but as many of you have noted, it wasn't a new thing and it wasn't a surprising thing. And that is a whole can of worms that I also won't get into in this episode because I want to leave time for Antonio. This is a longer episode. And it is so because there's so much value in what Antonio shared that it was very hard for me to cut things. I actually cut more of myself, which I'm fine with. But I want you to hear Antonio's words. He shares some very heavy and powerful stories that has led to why he is asking hard questions. I want you to hear him. I want you to listen. If you're not in a place to listen right now, then then pause, pray, do what you need to do, and then come back. Make space for Antonio's story because it is valuable in understanding how it is we can actually come to engage this life together. You're listening to episode 55 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. 
I thank you for this time with Antonio and just the way that we even got connected deeper than just the occasional Facebook comment and like. And yeah, we just thank you for this time and space to connect. I just want to give it to you. I want to give you my words, Antonio's words. I want to invite you if you want to guide this conversation somewhere. Um, we know you are wiser than us. And so I pray for your words, your guidance, and I just pray for you to be glorified in this because uh, you can do amazing things um, even through Zoom conversations. I ask to pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. So we first connect because both of us were connected with Urban Promise, but you were connected with Urban Promise Camden. And I was connected with Urban Promise Wilmington. And we've stayed connected through Facebook, through the occasional Facebook post. And we connected recently because you've been processing through a lot of things that were thrown at you, not just in the past year, but the past several years. And a lot of what you were sharing really resonated with things I've been processing just around some recent episodes I've been doing around just deep questions of who God is, but even just in general, how it is we experience and engage with God when things are rough. So what is it that kind of drew you to this time and space of just connecting now? Oh, man. It's hard to even say out loud. I think sometimes certain storms happen in your life that makes you pause and make you question everything in a sense. Mm -hmm. Certain moments that just bring you down to your knees and ask some questions, just not outwardly, but inwardly as well. Then I've been going through a moment. I mean, all of us have been with 2020 and COVID. And I think it's just gotten to a very overwhelming point with me. Yeah. yeah, you know, personally, even my own marriage is kind of falling apart recently. And I think that kind of just shaking my identity up a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like I was like kind of a realizing that I was kind of like a house of cards and just how fragile life can be. And this one chain can knock your whole sense of self apart. And yeah, it's just, and I, and I have several moments like that throughout my life that actually it's like three moments of where. I question everything. And then, yeah, it's def definitely one of those moments where my sense of self has been shaken up. I just got to a point where I just like, all right, perhaps I am missing something and maybe I need to be more intentional listening mm -hmm. and hearing people out and asking questions, being vulnerable to kind of rebuild myself up. Because I think the scary part about it all is just processing the part of how to rebuild myself again, because it is a house of cards, right? And mm -hmm. the idea of the next win coming in my life to knock it down, you know, can I bear the pain again of like it come coming crashing down? I worked in a ministry and grew up in a ministry my entire life, but I struggle with faith. And there's kind of almost this envious feeling I have of people of faith to be able to kind of bounce back through hard times and find their identity with God or a God that they feel like listens. I find it the other way around, you know, my journey. It's just like, I, I always felt like kind of an absence of God, you know, through the times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, looking at your podcast, listening to a couple of episodes of where do you see God? You know, I just find it interesting. The idea of where do you see God when in these moments I feel empty, I feel kind of lost. I just feel silence. But like I said, maybe I'm not listening well enough. Um, maybe I'm not paying attention. Maybe I'm not asking the right questions. But yeah, so that's what kind of drew me to wanting to have a conversation with you and with others about, you know, this situation, you know, yeah. that's where I'm at now. Yeah, man. It, and even as you're talking, like one of the things that 
kind of hit me right out the gate is, you know, you mentioned you've been a part of, you know, a ministry for a long time. You know, you grew up in, engaging with that ministry. You've been working with that ministry. And there's <laughs> there's kind of an unfair thing that that happens within a ministry in which you are around God-centric language so often and around people that are representing what it looks like to live for God, both authentically and inauthentically. And there is this constant engagement with that to the point where the, the unfair piece is it can make it hard to find yourself in the midst of that. Because when you work for a ministry, it's almost like you're expected to function in a certain way, whether that's an external expectation or an internal one. So for a long time, like you've been in this place where you've either felt like or been expected to be a certain type of Christian. So when you have struggles with that, it's like a much heftier pressure than if you just worked at some nine to five job and your relationship with God wasn't on display. So yeah, I mean, is, yeah. that, is that accurate? Like, is that a, been a pressure you've been feeling? No, it is. It is. Like you say, you know, growing up in the in the entire ministry environment, you know, I was five years old when I got involved with Urban Promise. There's this idea of like, you know, salvation or being saved or, you know, hero kind of work that we do. And uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's just like as I got older, you know, I asked questions and like I, I want to be this hero. Right. I want to be able to bring, in a sense, some kind of salvation to people or some kind of intimacy of love, it gets more and more difficult. But I always had to kind of wear a mask on it, right? Especially with the people I serve. I couldn't show them the, the kind of the kinks in my armor. I don't know. It's, 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 been, it's been getting harder as time goes on. And like I said, there's been three key moments where I didn't feel the saving, right? I just felt the silence. And I remember being eight years old, very first moment at Urban Promise. We go into Bible class and... The intern there is telling me a story of how Jesus cured a blind man. And, you know, he grabbed dirt, spinning this dirt, mm-hmm. rubbing the blind man's eyes. And what the teacher didn't know was I have a blind brother who had been blind for over 30 years. And at the time, he just recently went blind. And as a kid hearing this story, I guess, you know, I've always been kind of a practical, logical kid. I looked at it. I listened to that story. And I was like, well, wait a minute maybe Jesus wasn't anything special. Like maybe he was just super smart. He spit in dirt, right? <laughs> I mean, if he was God, couldn't he just like kind of cure the blind man? But maybe he just knew stuff about chemistry mm. and, and, and science that, you know, we didn't understand. You know, and I was like, okay, well, I have an idea now. I'm, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to fix my older brother. And I remember going home. I called my older brother out to our, our backyard where we had a small garden. I grabbed some dirt, I spit in his dirt, I rubbed it in his eyes, and I just I just remember the grief that it brought him. If you ever had dirt in your eyes, it's painful. Yeah. And I remember him kind of screaming. My mother came outside and she thought I was picking on my older brother and she kind of beat me, you know. And I think that was the first moment where I actually experienced kind of the silence of God. And again, I was kind of ingrain of this idea of salvation you know god is good but put your faith in god and all will be good all will be well right mm. the blind can see right but to my older brother he, he he was still blind but now he had dirt in his eyes and i kind of felt like it was kind of like dirt in my face too yeah 
And I think that that really shook me. And that's like kind of one of my earliest memories of like Bible class at Open Promise. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I remember going back the next day and asking a lot of questions. And I probably was kind of rude about it. I remember getting a lot of strikes when I was little. <laughs> you know, I stuck with Urban Promise and I grew up in the program and, and met a lot of amazing people through it that mentored me and tried to help me with my walk and my faith. But yeah, even as working there currently, um, it's been a big struggle of mine. So I don't want to be the guy to send the next kid home with dirt in his hands, you know? Yeah. That's been something that I, uh, I struggle with and it affected me in other areas in my life, you know, I realized. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I kind of, like every experience kind of made me wall up a bit and uh, add a barrier or doubt or whatever. But yeah, I'm in a moment where I'm just seeking, I'm still seeking and trying to figure this out, especially if I'm, I want to continue doing this work, you know. But it's, it's just tough. Sometimes I feel like kind of a fraud, you know what I mean? Yeah. I try to live my life based on kindness and how Christ expected us to live. But even my words, I struggle to like profess is from Christ. Those are the moments where I felt the silence, but that was the very first moment, you know? And then when I became a director, I promise the things that they don't train us for, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of unexpected things, and a lot of dangers too. And uh, I think the one thing that people don't really realize about my line of work is the dangers that's involved. Yeah that comes with it and uh, a lot of crazy circumstances that I have to put myself in just to serve. And uh, I, I experienced moments there, uh, you know, as a director back in 2014, there was a moment where I created a poetry team with the kids, created a slam poetry team. And eventually we went off to become state champions. It was, you know, an amazing small season. Back in 2014 was the beginning of the of, of this project that I was trying to do with the kids. and. Uh, I would take a lot of my kids out to cafes every Friday to practice performing, to help them with their stage presence and, and, and public speaking and perform in front of the audience. And there was this fourth grader who attended the program uh, with older sister, eighth grader at the time as well. It was performing on a trip one night. Her parents was out in the crowd and they both did really well. Her older sister won first place. The younger sister won second place. Mm. At the end of the night, I'm hugging the mother. And we're talking, you know, how great the event was and how much poetry has meant, especially for the eldest. Then at the end of the night, the mother got in the car with her kids and they was driving out to Atlantic City that night and got in a horrific car accident. Mm. And I remember later that night, the older daughter gives me a call and tells me she's in Cooper Hospital. So I rush over to the hospital and meet up with the kid. The mom is still in surgery and the younger sisters is on life support. And I remember staying up all night with this kid, I don't want to share her name, mm-hmm. who's now about to graduate college. She's doing a great thing, by the way. You know, the aunt asked me to go home because the mom won't come out in the morning. I return the next morning and I'm speaking with the mom and the older sister and some other family members. When the doctor come in and interrupt our conversation, and the doctor tells the mother that the insurance is no longer paying for the life support. Mm. And at that moment, the mom had to make a decision whether to pull the plug or figure out how to keep her daughter in life support. And it was an intense time. I remember the grief in the family and kind of like in the grief inside me that was building up. 
And it came to a point where the mother asked all of us to come to the bedside, the young girl, to say our goodbyes. One by one, the family members were sharing their peace with the kid. And the mom looks at me and says, you know, Tony, you're the closest thing to we have as a pastor here. Can you say the prayer for, you know, the kid before we pull the plug? And I remember that was probably the hardest prayer I ever prayed, you know. And one, I felt kind of kind of a fraud, right? Because here's the mother who saw me as a spiritual like leader to her kids. And I had my own doubts that I struggled with. And here I am saying this prayer uh, out loud. And inside, I'm, I'm saying an internal prayer. I'm asking God to move this mountain, you know, to finally show me that he's here with us. Because I was afraid to say amen. Because I knew once I said amen, it was going to pull the plug, right? Yeah. And uh, I remember the prayer got a bit awkward because I was praying for a long time, man. I had to say amen. And so I ended the prayer and I decided to walk out to get the family privacy at the, you know, the end of their kid. And I just remember the wailing that came out that room and the kid died then and there. And I just felt empty again. You know, here's a moment where a community thought, of me as something that I never envisioned myself a spiritual leader mm-hmm. and I just felt kind of a fraud but also felt like here's a moment you know to kind of restore my faith you know to try to find God in this but and that was heavy that was heavy and I find myself at a crossroads now where I'm praying and trying to make the right shifts in my life try to listen more be intentional more have more conversations and and I I get this same sense of silence. I don't know, it's it's been tough, it's been tough. 10 years being a a site director at Urban Promise and trying to preach life to kids that I feel like they need, but I myself struggle to feel myself. Yeah. So it's been hard, it's been hard. And I'm just, trying to keep seeking keep trying to stay right but i don't know i've been reading a lot of c.s lewis uh grief mm-hmm. observe <laughs> and it's just i just find it interesting you know there's this uh saying that sometimes when i, I speak to my friends of uh they will tell me like there's no atheist in a foxhole but you know reading c.s lewis and even mother Teresa's uh diary yeah. okay it's interesting to find how like the faithful one how faithless they become in these moments and how they struggle even themselves with with feeling God and finding God. And there's a line from C.S. Lewis that says, uh, save me consolations of religion because it just shows me that you don't understand my grief. Mm-hmm. And I, I've noticed a lot of times when I, when I enter these stages of grief and I, I speak to my Christian friends, they tend to try to console me with like the faith idea, like, you know, and it becomes trivializing for my grief in a sense. Yeah. You know, they, they tell me maybe God said no, maybe God doesn't want you to have this or that, or uh, or maybe I'm not praying correctly, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, or maybe God's trying to break me to like bring them closer to him, you know, and it's just like, 
man, I just feel like it's such a trivializing response to like my grief and and the trauma. Um, But, you know, I I know it's good intended and, you know, they're just trying to help me find my path again. Yeah. You know, you had said the phrase that you're still trying to seek. And I feel like this can feel even heavier when you take a verse like seeking you will find and you think, but I've been seeking for her for decades. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I don't feel like I've found anything. And, and first, now and then, it's been like one bump after another, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and I appreciate one, I appreciate your, your transparency and sharing what you've shared, which man, man, both of those are powerful and hard stories. And, and the second thing is either one of those stories could have been enough for someone to throw in the towel. And, and that's the, the second thing is I want to, I kind of want to speak into you something that I was feeling when we were corresponding on messenger and even just hearing you share, I think there's something really powerful and beautiful about the fact that you stayed at the table. And I know like part of it, you could say, well, you know, I kind of ended up having to stay at the table because I was working at Urban Promise. And so I have to like keep on, but like even in the, and what you've described about where you are now and how you are trying to seek out conversations and trying to process these things and still trying to seek, even though part of you could say, well, God let me down when I saw it with all my heart. <laughs> I want to commend in you this thing that I see where no matter how many of those hits have come, here you are still standing there <laughs> and still saying, but I'm, I'm trying to seek. And I think there's something really powerful in that. I think it's, it's not just powerful for you, but I wonder how powerful that could end up being for someone else at some point down the line that your story is decades worth of <laughs> getting knocked down and getting back up again and saying, here I am, God, where are you getting knocked down again and standing up? Because it's nice when you get the stories of, you know, I didn't know God and then things got hard and then I found them. And yeah, Yeah. but a lot of people have similar stories to yours where it's like, all right, God, like this is the 20th hit this year. What's the deal? And to still be at the table in the midst of that, one, I just, I want to speak that into you that I see that, but two, I wonder what story God might be writing in the midst of that. And that's all nice to hear. Doesn't change the fact that you're like, yeah, but I'm still in the midst of the story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's still hard. And like, dude, like even your first story, age eight, that was a bold move, man, to go out and spit on the dirt. You know, um, I was an impressionable kid, you know, just hearing that story. <laughs> And I, at the same time, you know, like, like I said, it's, it's been kind of a culture of like saving, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that becomes attractive. I think when it comes to like ministry work on the other side for me, you know, grew up in poverty and hardship, dealing with disabilities and, you know, you're looking for salvation in a sense. And I'm not talking about just like eternal salvation, but some kind of salvation to, yeah. you know, get us away from the human condition of having to deal with poverty or like imminent like suffering and that becomes attractive that's something that I, I even with interns or volunteers that comes to my program 
I try to help them navigate with when they come to like preach with younger kids mm-hmm. is the idea of like remembering these kids are impressionable and we have to be delicate and gentle with this idea of salvation, right? Yeah. To that intern that summer, it could have been just a story and his lesson plan from the curriculum that he planned, right? That he just mm-hmm. wanted to share. But for me, it became an answer because I was dealing with this firsthand and I was seeing the suffering of my brother and I wanted to save him, right? Yeah. This idea of needing to be saved or wanting to be fixed things. And I think I it kind of ingrained, that yeah. culture ingrained inside me so consciously. I'm always trying to fix something, you know, rush into like every time it's an issue, I just want to rush head first and try to fix it. A lot of people call me impatient or, you know, someone that's feeling anxiety because I'm always seeing what could go wrong because I'm always looking for what can I fix? Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's, it's over the years of yeah. you know, growing up in, in, in this environment of like saving, 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 saving that it's just like, which is important, right? Because everyone in the human condition is looking for some kind of mm-hmm. saving somehow, you know, yeah. whether it's through like arts, love, faith, right? We, we all are trying to escape the human condition of like the idea of being alone or abandonment or like, the idea of death, right? Yeah. It's been a tough journey, but I feel like it's a worthwhile journey to continue. Mm-hmm. Even if I feel like I find only silence. Because the other side of it is just accepting the human condition of death, which I'm like, for me, it's just like I I, I can't. It's like that poem that I used to read to the kids about raging against the dying of the light. It's just like, no, this is what we all should be doing is fighting to find purpose. And hopefully that's with Christ, with God, if, if I can find that. I want to do that genuinely, you know? Like, I, it's easy for me to put on the mask and be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all for Christ, you know, because of the work that I do and stuff like that. But it's not genuine, you know? Like, I, and I share with my older kids my struggles, my, my doubts, because I want to show them, like you said, you could continue on this journey seeking truth and seeking God even when you feel alone yeah even what you're talking about I think you're right that like especially in American culture everything's got to be definitive got to be fixed you know you got to be saved I've got to know the answers and even Christian leaders often fall into that trap of feeling like they've got to present themselves as definitively knowing I've got to say what I got to say with confidence what that ends up doing is then those who are looking to that, like you mentioned, like especially a young age when you're impressionable, you look to that and what you are seeing, what's communicated to you is I am older and wiser and I know the answer and here's the answer. And then you start going and find out, oh, spitting in dirt doesn't cure blindness. <laughs> you know, praying a prayer with like deep conviction doesn't save a life. Like, So what do I do with everything I've been told? And then I love that you mentioned C.S. Lewis, but specifically Mother Teresa's journals. And I remember a few years ago hearing about there's a set of journals that she wrote that weren't released for a long time because people didn't want to release them because it showed the depth of questioning and doubt that she experienced. And I mean, she was witnessing daily people praying with all their hearts and then watching their loved ones die. She was witnessing daily, seemingly prayers going unanswered. 
And here she was in a role where she had to serve a God who allegedly heard and answered prayers. And she's like, how do I rectify this? And I remember a few years ago, you know, being in a particularly hard season and, and hearing about that and being encouraged because <laughs> here is someone who did incredible things and had a really like amazing relationship with her faith, who also had this deep doubt. And I realized it's okay that I don't have things figured out right now. It's okay that I have some questions for God right now. Right. And so I think that the thing that we miss too often, especially in American Christianity, is humility and transparency. Like we need more Christian leaders being willing to say, man, I'm I'm depressed right now. (laughs) I'm I don't I don't know the answer right now. Like I'm really confused with I'm really angry with God right now. And to hear them say that and see that they're also still at the table communicates a deeper truth of what it means to be a Christian than someone saying, no, you just, just pray and believe and you'll be good. (laughs) And it sounds like that's been your experience is those deeper, transparent, vulnerable things carried more weight than the best Christian platitude that well-meaning people have offered you. Yeah. Well, I've been on both ends of the spectrum, right? I was the kid receiving and seeing the confidence and, and, trying to put my trust in what they were saying to being the person where I was hoping kids put their confidence and trust in me mm. now. And I'm realizing the pressure that comes with that, right? Because it's the next day I came back to the same person. Like I said, I, I was probably really rude to them. Um, <laughs> like I had no grace, right? No respect. I lost complete respect for this leader. And I, I think there's pressure in, in like Christian leadership to kind of show kind of like, like I say, like the kinking armor, because mm-hmm. I feel like the, the listeners shows little grace in that, you know, we, we expect our leaders to like kind of shepherd us the right way. And if the shepherd is telling us, hey, I don't know where I'm going. I, I think we're quick to crucify our leaders, right? We're quick to lose respect for them. And I think there's a fear inside me of like losing respect of like my flock in a sense, right? And I think a lot of Christian leaders have that same pressure and fear to kind of show their human side, right? Of like, hey, man, like, I think I've, I've lost it. I, I, I don't feel anything anymore. Yeah, and I, I think that's what it is as well. It's just this pressure of like losing the respect and, and the grace. I think what's missing is like just showing grace to each other, mm. you know, in, in a Christian community, you know, when one says, hey, I kind of lost my way, not ostracizing them and not, you know, pushing them away. Because there's been a few, like, folks through my work who kind of lost respect for me. You know, they'll come in and they admire the work that I'm doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I even had compliments of folks saying, you're the closest example to, like, Christ, which I'm like, whoa, that's, like, I guess the biggest compliment <laughs> anyone in ministry work could get, right? <laughs> Uh, but then as, as they learn about my doubts and, and my struggles, they don't want anything to do with me anymore. Yeah. They don't want to be even my friend or having a whole conversation with me mm-hmm. because now I've become this person who once was like admirable to like, because I show my humanness despicable. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I lost friends just, just because of conversations that way. Yeah. Um, 
not because of a fight or or, or disagreement or it's because I showed on my humanness and, and my doubt and my struggles. And they couldn't accept that, right? It's like, wow, you're, you're supposed to be this person of faith. You're this person that's doing this kind of work. And it's just like the lack of grace for like leaders to be human. I think it's been a big problem. And I think it's, it's been, I, I think an issue for me as well, for the work that I do. And I, I love the work that I do, don't get me wrong. I, I believe Urban Promise is like the best vehicle that we have here in Camden to like do this kind of work, whatever background you come from. Yeah, it, it's, it's been kind of a, a, a dance that I have to do with, with folks. I, couldn't, I can't really show my complete humanness because they'll lose their admiration to me. And I think maybe that's one reason why Jesus wanted to be alone in the garden when he wept. That's probably the only time, I, you know, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, where he like questioned God and swill, right? Everything. And he wanted to be alone and cry. Maybe, you know, I'm trying to take lessons in that. You know, let's keep this private. Let's keep this intimate, you know? Yeah, I feel like I've been in the garden for a long time. We've been alone. And it's, it's hard to, like, invite people to that space. Yeah. Because they'll, I feel like they'll lose the admiration or, or the respect just because I show my tears in a sense. No, and that's a good reference, that moment in the garden. Ironically, I was just looking at that yesterday. <sighs> Here you have Jesus after decades of living, three years of really intense, powerful ministry, <laughs> come into this last week where he knows what's about to go down. He enters Jerusalem and everyone's cheering for him because they think he's going to be something that they want, but they don't realize what he's actually going to be and how it's actually better. <laughs> but they they think he's going to save them from Roman occupation or you know, do something powerful and they're all cheering and the week goes on and Pharisees are getting angrier and Jesus is having his last moments with his disciples and he's trying to download all this stuff because he knows what's about to happen and he can just see the blank looks in their eyes. They're not getting it. And then he gets to the garden and and all of this would have been enough to feel like someone's got to just get some time alone. But you're right. He gets into this space and he's like, God, if there's any other way, this just is, this is so much. It reminds me of what I was saying earlier, this moment of staying at the table when you don't even know how to stay at the table. I felt like that must be what Jesus was feeling too. When he was like, you can take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And then experiences the hardest thing that anybody in history has ever experienced. Cause it's not just the physical pain and torture that he experienced. But it was also watching people that had just days before shouted Hosanna at him, now yelling crucify. It's watching people he just invested the past three years, devoted all his time into discipling, deny him and run away. It was having people spit at him while he knew he was saving their souls. We could never know the pain he experienced in that moment, nor can we know that night before in the garden, the pain he must have experienced there. And because he was a human, <laughs> because he was a man, the questions, the pain, the fear, the doubts, all the things that could have come in that moment that he had to choose to keep on walking, even in the midst of like, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> and that's the part of Christianity that we don't talk about. We, we talk about the putting on the good face, like, Yes, I believe in God. I'm going to, you know, but we don't see 
many people being open and transparent enough to show their Gethsemane Garden Mount of Olives moment yeah. of like, nope, I'm just weeping. <laughs> I got nothing but but tears right now. And, and to be honest, like the for, for me personally, I think the most powerful stories of Jesus is his very human stories, right? He washes the feet when he show up late to Lazarus, you know, <laughs> you know, he was late, you know, and they was angry at Jesus, you know, like, what were you? And rightly so, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, he still does his thing. The garden moment, you know, through every human moments, you know, even his angry moments when he goes flipping tables in a temple. For me, those are the most powerful stories of, of Jesus. It's, yeah. it's uh, how I connect, at least, you know, with them. Uh, because for me, the, the dirt and the eyes, miracles, is so far from me, so distant from me, because I experienced it firsthand in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. I've experienced the silence, you know? So when I hear, read those stories, it's, you know, it's traumatic for me. It, you know, a lot of people might read those stories and get joy out of it, like, oh, he healed a leper, you know? Not, you know, the leper coming back to say thank you, you know? Like, I didn't get a thank you from my brother, right? I just mm-hmm. got more grief, right? So for me, the story that resonates with me are the very human ones, right? The washing of the feet, the being kind to each other, breaking bread together, crying in the garden, you know, even his angry moments, cursing the fig tree. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I don't understand what I was still about, you know, <laughs> but it's just like, you know, very human Jesus in a sense that I, I could I could connect with because I, I've been there. You know, yeah. I, I've been the guy to flip tables. I've been the guy to try to just wash folks' feet in a sense of my work. You know, I've been the guy to break down, cry. I feel like we, you know, in, in this work, we ignore that. You know, mm. it's, it's all about, you know, the armor of God and being strong and a warrior for God and saving each other and the heroics and, and not showing every, you know, the folks that you serve that you're falling apart. It has to be very unhuman, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. To me, I think that's something I, I wish we can embrace more. Mm-hmm. the very humanness of, of us and allows to you know the grace to each other to be human to each other to have moments of breakdown and, and moments of light grief and moments where we feel like we need help yeah put another way it's it's like we have this unspoken pressure that we all feel that we have to be a super christian like that we have to be yeah. a put together flawless unsinning Bible memorizing, elaborate prayer saying Christian, like, and that that's the goal. And we will focus on the stories of Jesus healing. We'll focus on the stories of, you know, the apostles doing powerful things. And, and that's what we strive for. And anything less than that is, is lesser, like, unless you are doing the tremendous works. And that's why we also, especially in American Christian culture, celebrate the accomplished Christians. And sometimes don't see the the people that are behind the scenes or that are doing the lesser work. And you know, what's crazy is one, like you just described, that's not even how Jesus lived. (laughs) He was being Jesus and he did amazing, powerful things, but he also cooked fish for his disciples and washed feet. Like you said, like he lived a life that in reality, while we see it as something spectacular, a whole lot of people that were there at that time didn't see his life as anything spectacular. He was a guy who was born out of wedlock to a carpenter. And then for three years, he went around and had a lot of people follow him. But then, you know, he got 
charged with something and got killed. And that was the end of the story. Like there were a lot of people that just saw him as just some man. And that's what I think is really beautiful about God's decision to send Jesus as a man, because he could have sent Jesus as this heavenly superhero being, right? Like could have floated down like Superman and there'd been no question. You know, in the movies, everyone who sees Superman knows Superman is powerful and from another world. And I wonder if part of the reason Jesus came as a man is because that created an accessibility for all of us because he lived as a man. Therefore, we can live our lives as humans and it not be less meaningful because Jesus said, you're going to do greater things than, than I could do. So like you take someone like Peter, the way we treat Christianity What should have happened in Peter's story is the moment that he met Jesus and Jesus said, throw your net over and they pulled up all the fish and Peter decided to follow him. Peter was good after that. Peter never sinned again. Peter accomplished amazing things. But what we see instead is Peter kept messing up. And even when Peter did something notable, like Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, well, you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, man, that didn't come from your knowledge. That God gave you that. A few verses later, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And Peter's like, mm, you better not do that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> like Peter continued to make mistakes. He denied Jesus. Only days, like a day after saying to Jesus, look, I will go to prison for you. I will die for you. I'm, I'm in all the way, Jesus. He's denying him to like people of no importance, a girl at a fire. That's how quick. He gave up Jesus, and even when we see him in Acts and he's doing these amazing things, he's still tripping up. He's still like showing his prejudice against Gentiles and saying, "No, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not talking to them," right? Like because the reality is, is even after meeting Jesus, even after being discipled by Jesus, he was still a man on a journey towards God. And I think that's kind of coming back to what I said about you earlier. I think that's what I love about you and your story is even with all these hits and hits and hits, <laughs> like you are still a man that's just journeying towards God. Even if you're like, but I don't know exactly where this road, I'm just taking a step. I, I don't know where it's going to lead because that's, that's what Jesus demonstrated. That's what the disciples were invited into. That's what the apostle Paul ended up starting to invite people into is not, Hey, you you're good now it's let's we're taking a step by step day by day towards god and that redefines what success is now success isn't oh did you pray hard enough oh did you spit in the dirt in the right way it's like it's not about what you actually accomplished how many people you saved it's did i on this day take a step towards wherever I think God is, whoever I think God is. And am am I going to keep on stepping tomorrow? And I see you doing that, even if it doesn't feel like, (laughs) you know. Nah, well, it's it's putting putting out the terms, like with C.S. Lewis again, he mentioned this door Mm -hmm. that he feels like he was knocking. Yeah. And he just keeps knocking, keeps knocking, and he hears the dead bolt, you know, go shut, you (laughs) know. You know, he hears, you know, someone scurry away and, you know, he's banging on the door and it gets to a point where he started questioning is anyone's in the house, you know, 
that imagery just kind of stuck with me. And I feel like that's where I've been at. It's just yeah. knocking on the door, constantly knocking on the door. You know, sometimes I get tired knocking. Sometimes I kind of just want to step away. Hmm. But then I think about the alternative and like, uh, like what else can I do? Yeah. Right. Like sometimes the best thing we can do is just to keep knocking on the door mm-hmm. and just keep waiting. Just because the, uh, the alternative actually, to be honest, just scares me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if I have to accept there isn't anyone else on the other side of the door, then what is life? For me? You know, Ernest Becker called it the vital lie. You know, he inserted the word vital because it's important, right, for us to have this, to kind of deal with anxiety and stuff like that. And maybe that's what it is to me. I don't know. You know, like it could be this lie that I keep telling myself because it's too important to not to believe in, you know, because mm-hmm. the alternative is just it's just scary. Yeah. Um, but maybe there is someone on the other side of the door. Yeah. And maybe I just need to be patient a little bit longer um, and just keep knocking. And in time, I hope, my hopes is someone can at least peek through the eye hole and see me, you know. Yep. You you hear a little shuffling. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a powerful analogy. And yeah, man, I mean, I've I've had conversations even on this podcast recently with folks who have been in similar situations that they kept knocking and eventually they were like, uh, nobody's there. Or they kept knocking, but they just didn't have the energy to knock anymore. And it's not like they're totally writing it off, but they've gone and sat on the bench across the street because it's like there comes a point where your your knuckles are bleeding now like you've knocked for so long like you have your yeah. muscles are are just rubber now like and and i was going to ask you a question and then you answered it of when you've passed the point of it seems obvious that no one's there but you keep knocking like what what keeps you knocking you know, and you, you shared, you know, your thoughts around that. And as you were sharing that, it, it, you know, it reminded me of a story I haven't told on, I don't think any of the episodes in my podcast yet. Uh, and it's something I've thought about doing a longer episode on, but even when we first started talking, it popped in my head back in 2011, my wife and I were pregnant with our first child and we were both excited. I lost my father when I was five. And there's something about that experience that produced in me a desire to be a father because I didn't have my biological father growing up. Like I wanted to be able to be a father to a child like beyond year five. And boom, 2011, time had arrived, got pregnant, got excited. Late November, we went in for our nine week appointment. There was no heartbeat. And uh, I remember almost as quickly as the pain hit, there is this feeling of the sense that I should pray for life. And I thought about Lazarus being raised from the dead. I thought about so many people being raised from the dead. And I'm like, scripture talks about people being raised from the dead. Our baby is dead. What if I pray and there's life? And I'm like, I asked the doctor, hey, do we have to do anything now? Can we have some time? The doctor's like, well, you know, we can set an appointment for two weeks. So I had this two week period where I was going to pray for life. And, and, you know, I thought about it when you were talking about praying by that bedside, like, it's like, you don't even know exactly how to pray because you're like, is this going to do anything? Am I doing it right? What if I do it wrong and I ruin it? Am I crazy? Am I not crazy enough? You wrestle with all these different contrasting deep thoughts. 
And all the while, I have no indicators. We can't know for sure if it's doing anything until we get to that appointment two weeks later. We get there, that whole day I'm wrestling. Did I, what if I send? What if I ruined it? What if I did something wrong? What if I didn't pray? What if I need to pray more and get in there and still no heartbeat? And I continue to wrestle like, am I supposed to keep on praying? Is this like a test of my faith? Do I need to like pray harder now? Is this like the moment where like, you don't give up, you keep on going. And so the next checkpoint was going to be when she went in for a surgery to, to remove the baby. And all the way up to that point, sitting in the waiting room, like I'm praying and I'm questioning and I'm wondering and I'm doubting and I'm trying all up to the point of knowing that there would be a point that I would get a, the phone call in the waiting room. And there was a part of me that was really hoping that the call would be, Mr. Granger, you're never going to believe this. The baby was alive. We didn't have to do the surgery. And I'd be like, yeah. And then our hearts and minds would be transformed. We would never pray in the same way. The doctors would all get saved. Everything like would be amazing. And that's not the call I got. The call I got was the surgery went well. Um, she's recuperating. You know, she'll be out soon. And it crushed me because I put it all out on the table. God said he could raise people from the dead. I felt like God was the one who told me to pray. And I prayed harder than I had ever prayed in my life. And our baby's dead. And so what does this mean? And, and I realized there's this, and I knew this moment was coming. I knew that if the baby didn't live, I would have a crossroads moment where for me to have prayed as hard as I'd prayed and take as truth, the verses that I took as truth, that if the baby didn't live, then that could mean that God was a joke, that God was not real. Because how could he be real and not answering the prayers when scripture says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. So there is one option that I decide that no matter what I knew about God before, that that's it. It was all wrong. Or the second option, that I decide to hold to what I had always believed before, that God was God, that he was powerful, <laughs> all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, and that God is good, that he is loving. And to choose to believe that, even though all the evidence says the opposite at this exact moment. And I knew the first option would be a pretty significant shift in my life. And the second option would be to take a step of faith that I did not have the capacity or energy or desire to take. And I wrestled <laughs> and I prayed and I decided to step towards, I'm going to choose to believe that God is God and God is good. And what I would, would have wanted the story to then be is suddenly the Holy Spirit filled me and joy erupted from within me and everything was better. And no, it was six months of depression. Like, I don't know if it was clinical depression, but I've never experienced anything like that. And it was awful. Like I felt such apathy and emptiness. A few months later, we got pregnant again. And a few days later, we lost another baby. And while the first one wrecked me, the second one, I didn't feel anything because I was just crushed. And all the while, I'm trying to hold to it. Like, even though I don't know what's going on, I'm going to believe that God is God and God is good because this is the direction I'm going to choose to take. It was six, six or so months of that until there was this moment where I was pretty much at the end of my capacity. And it was this, 
series of events that happened that could only be through God, where I was working at a Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club. And we, we didn't have a lot of money to work with. We didn't have a lot of staff. And this unexpected rare opportunity came for me to go on a trip to a Boys and Girls Club conference in Orlando, Florida. Had never happened before. It <laughs> didn't happen afterwards. But here I was able to get a week away. And it was it was very clear that it was a gift that God was given me to get away. And I don't even remember exactly how he met me in that moment, but something happened in that space where there was this just peace that I couldn't explain or describe. And then uh, a month or so later, we found out that we were pregnant again. And we're like, do we get excited about this? So like, what do we do? And my wife and, and a lot of wisdom said, you know what? We're going to praise God for however many days or weeks that this baby's with us, even if it's never born. And that baby is now about to turn eight. And that season of my life was definitely one of the hardest, but one is without a doubt a foundational moment in my personal faith, because it was basically one of those moments like what you were just describing. You've been knocking on the door. You cannot hear a thing. You think you heard a deadbolt, which is almost worse than not hearing a thing yeah. in there, because that means there's someone in there that doesn't want to talk to you. Like you've been knocking and knocking and knocking, bloody knuckles, tired arms. You've got nothing left. And you have the decision before you, do I stay at the door or do I walk away? And for me, that, that moment where I could stay at the door or walk away, I don't know how I ended up being able to stay at the door, but it has so transformed my understanding of God, my understanding of Christianity, my understanding of faith, that to this day, anytime I pray, I always start it with, you know, God is God and God is good because I it serves as a, a reminder, an Ebenezer of that moment where I went from Christianity just being a thing that I did or who I was, something I believed, but to something that I was willing to stay at the table for, even if it seemed to have abandoned me. And I can say that as the years have gone by, my understanding and relationship with God has deepened to such a point where I don't even know, I can't even remember <laughs> like how I understood God before compared to who I see him as now. And it helps me to navigate those moments where I still have moments of knocking on the door. Like what's the deal? God? <laughs> like I have prayed about this thing for a decade. I've, you know, I've tried in my hardest. And where are you right now? God, it gets helped me to even know how to navigate those moments in a different way. Even when those moments still hurt, I'm encouraged by your story that, you're still at the door. And even if part of it is because you don't like the alternative, yeah. I, I do think, I do think in hearing you talk, I think that can be a part of it, but I don't think that's all of what's keeping you there. I think there is something else that keeps you at the door. And I don't know what that is, but I think you're at the door for more than just fear of the alternative. And, and my feeling is that this journey that you're on now of getting into reading some things, of having conversations, I think that other thing is going to probably begin to show itself. And maybe it'll be days or weeks or months or years. I don't know. I hope <laughs> um, so. I hope so. Yeah. But I mean, that's, you know, when we think of life in terms not of getting fixed, there's a part of you that really wants it to be. But in terms of a journey, the beautiful thing about a journey is 
as hard and long and frustrating as it can be in the midst, anytime we're at the end of the journey, we see time differently. When we're at the end of the journey, we don't feel how grueling the traveling was in the same way that we did in the midst. We can remember it. We can be aware of it. We can know it was hard. But we now see the journey in a more holistic way. And that traveling is now put alongside of when we arrived at the destination. You know, our hardships are, are experienced in a different way from the moment we're in the midst of it to when we are seeing it as a part of the whole journey. And so the season that you're in now, like especially with, gosh, the stuff with marriage, like that's that hits at a level that people that aren't married don't don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Even people yeah. that are married don't don't know how hard and on how many levels that can hit. Even those hardest moments are experienced differently on later parts of the journey than how painfully they're experienced in the moment. And I'm excited for that that later part for you, but man, I feel you in this current part. Like, uh, yeah. I don't want to put any platitudes out there like, just hang in there, man, because like, yeah. no, man, you're in, the, you're, in the, you're in the hard part of the journey. I am. I'm stuck in the pit at the moment, but... Uh... It's, uh, I think the tricky part for me is, uh, you know, going back to the idea of knocking on the door is that uh, I'm realizing I'm, I'm only knock hard when hard things happen, right? And I think the trick that I need to figure out is how do I continue to knock when, whether the prayers answer or not, you know, yeah. like when life is back coasting in this comfort zone, when everything is sunny and you could kind of put on the mask so easily, you know. Mm-hmm. By the way, I appreciate you sharing the story. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that. But it's interesting that um, just taking in what you share, you see, you gather two perspectives, right? You know, that God is not there or God is all good. And I think maybe that's where I'm, I struggle to like find, because for me, the two perspectives that I found in these moments, like either God is not there but God can be kind of cruel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just like, for me, that deadbolt moment, it's like, oh, he's there, but, you know, he yeah. he doesn't want to listen. If he was deal. good, he would never deadbolt the door. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean? And, and so yeah. maybe learning how to shift my perspective to understand what may be seem like harmful for me is yeah. somehow there's some good in it or trying to find a silver lining in things. But uh, that's, that's where I'm at. And, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out maybe through conversations, learn from stories like yours and others, trying to find a good God in, in the midst of the storm, you know, and not fall to the ideas and traps of God is cruel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But having that third option, like, no, God is good. One thing I want to share with anyone going through this journey is that you have to be prepared to set the other side of it as well. Like my hopes is to come out of it with a stronger faith, right? reassurance of the existence of a good God, you know, going on a journey like this, you know, to be genuine with it, you have to also accept the idea that you may come up the other side of emptiness of silence, right? Mm-hmm. And truly wrestle with that, you know, wrestle with God, you know, you might end up with a broken rib or two, it's going to be painful. But like, the only way to like tackle this journey is through genuine questioning, mm-hmm. genuine searching, being vulnerable with folks, being vulnerable and honest with yourself and being open to grow. You keep asking those questions. You keep knocking and knocking and knocking because what's life if you don't knock, right? Mm. And it's just like, keep knocking. 
the alternative for me is scary. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that wasn't my top motivation. It is. And, yeah. you know, I want to live a life full of joy and peace. I learned that peace doesn't come and joy doesn't come. You have to go out and seek it. You go, you know, you have to go out and seek God. You got to knock on these doors and you got to mm. maybe get your knuckles bloodied up a bit. And you have to be patient, you know, um, and be honest with yourself. You know, maybe I'm not listening to intently, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's where I'm at now in this crossroads. Like, all right, tone, be more intentional in listening to people's stories and, and validating like their experiences and learning from them because maybe I am missing something, you know, mm-hmm. it's easy to put on this mask, but the mask is heavier and heavier as time goes on. Yeah. Man, I would even say we could put it another way of not just maybe I am missing something, but what if we all Christians, what if all of us actually started operating with the mindset of I am probably missing something because yeah. even the disciples after spending three years with Jesus still missed some really big things that Jesus said very clearly, <laughs> man, the humility that that takes, but the transformation and awareness that could produce because that forces us outside our understanding and logic. And I want to affirm something you said, and I don't remember how you said it, but you were talking about, you know, when you were knocking on the door, you realize that usually you knock harder when it's hard and and you want to be done with that. But when it's other times you might not knock as hard. And it made me think of the reality of us coming to understand why we're knocking, why we even want to go in. Yeah. Because yeah. there are wrong reasons to want to go in or somewhere. And there are other reasons that aren't wrong, but aren't at the fullness of what it could be. And I could tell stories that it brought up in my mind of, of moments like that. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you shared that part of your journey now is even discerning that knocking. And I think that's an ongoing thing. I think for me, even though the story I told was in 2011, I am still having to discern my knocking. Even as I say this, I'm thinking of moments in recent history of fervent prayers I made that I realized, why why am I praying this? I'm actually praying this just for myself. We're on this journey. It just so happens that this part of your journey looks the way it does with the door shut and the deadbolt locked. But I think another piece is learning to release our human logic and our understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has always been one that I've come back to more than I really should. It's like, I I just don't learn it. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to him and he will set your path straight. So that lean not on your own understanding. When you said that, like about the deadbolt and then we were like, how could a good God lock the door? It reminded me of um, a video I was watching with Neil deGrasse Tyson brilliant man smarter than me on every level and they were giving him questions and he was talking about it does this exist in the universe what does this mean and one of the questions was does god exist and and he gives a more robust answer but it came down to the classic argument around if god is powerful and god is good but if horrible things happen how could god be both powerful and good if he's powerful he could stop it if he and he gave some very specific examples of some tragedies that happen that show that paradox of like, he can't be both those things. And the thing that struck me in that moment was as brilliant as he is, he was trying to 
answer a question about God using solely human logic. When the reality is, if God does exist, that means there is a logic that is above human logic. There is a logic that transcends human logic. And so we can't just apply our own understanding of things to a thing that is beyond that. It's like a dog trying to explain human activity simply based on how dogs understand the world. They're going to fall short because we exist on a higher level than dogs do. And in the same way, we try to understand and box God into our own understanding when it is possible that there is a reason that a good God would put the deadbolt. The question is, are we willing to still trust that he is good, even though that makes absolutely no sense to us? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's tough because it, it, once that's all we have, it's human logic, right? <laughs> wanted to leave space if there's anything else you wanted to share before we finished out. I appreciate you having the time to uh, talk with me. And I, I think for anyone listening, appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, listening to my story. And I, I hope it's encouraging in some way, you know, I'm just being honest. Mm-hmm. And I think the best thing I can do during this brief is just to be honest and vulnerable yeah. and with yourself and with others. And if you are going through some kind of crossroads with life, um, with faith, you know, I want you to understand that it's okay. You know, it's okay to be human. Don't rob yourself from the capacity of being human because you so strongly want to hold on to faith. I think the best way to strongly hold on to faith is to wrestle with it, you know, especially in these moments. I'm so deeply grateful for Antonio's story, for Antonio's willingness to share. And his stories are so powerful. The story of the spit in the mud, the story of the little girl dying in the hospital bed, and the story he didn't get into details about, about where he is now within his marriage. Hard stories where he genuinely took a step of faith towards a thing that scripture and Christians said was real. And he didn't see it. And yet, he's continuing to stand at the door and knock. I phrased it that way because that's a scripture we all know, right? Knock and the door shall be opened to you. You Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And says, if we open the door, he'll come right in. And Antonio has been knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And for the last few days, I've been sitting with this reality that It just seems wrong on a level that Antonio would have to knock so long and so hard and it feel like the door is not only not being opened, but is being locked. How could a good God, how could a loving God let him stand at the door for so long, let his knuckles get so bloody? And I have to hold this intention because if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I have firmly chosen to believe that God is God and God is good. Which means that I can look at Antonio's situation and understand it from a human vantage point 
of it seeming like a huge injustice and a huge disqualifier to the goodness of God. While holding that intention with the reality that I do believe that God is God and God is good. And the way that I can exist in that space is I have to release my own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will set your path straight. I'm saying this for me and not Antonio. For me, I need to stand in this space and be willing to let go of my own understanding and trust that God is God and God is good, even though Antonio's story is hard. What I love about Antonio is that he is choosing to stand. You heard in the episode, there are various reasons and various ways, but I want to affirm the strength in him and to do so not knowing when or if that door will be opened. Look, I don't know why God immediately opens the door for some and God allows others to have their knuckles bloodied. I don't know why. I believe God knows. I believe there are ways that God chooses to work that are abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. That on this end of it, it looks like a mess. It looks like apathy. It looks like forgetfulness. It looks like neglect. But on the other end, we may see that there is a grander narrative at play that was far beyond us and our own understanding, our own need to understand. I don't know what Antonio's story is going to be, but I do know that he is standing at the door knocking. I don't know what your story is right now, how you feel like God has abandoned or neglected you. But the fact that you're listening to this means that you are at least on the doorstep There are areas in my life that I feel like God has not opened the door. Areas that I've been praying around for over a decade in some cases. Things that I've been asking him to heal that it seems like he is unwilling to do. But I'm knocking. God is more than we can comprehend. What we are working towards, what we are being made into, is something that we can't see on the front end. But I hope that we can hear Antonio's encouragement and at least step into that space of let's continue to ask these hard questions. Let's continue to wrestle. Let's continue to do so together, sharing with each other, listening to each other, loving each other. Because perhaps it's within that space that we discover the pieces of God that we missed. Perhaps it's in the stories of others that we see elements of who God is that we didn't know. Perhaps it's in those spaces that we find the healing that has seemed to evade us for so long. Perhaps that's what God is showing us. It's not that he doesn't want to open the door, but as more of us begin to knock, perhaps something is going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. But I do believe that God is God and God is good. So I personally will continue to knock. And I do believe that God loves you. And so I want to knock with you. And I want to be here to listen to your story, to process with you. In the meantime, let's keep knocking. Let's keep wrestling. Let's keep asking. Let's keep looking. And then ask ourselves, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. 
And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>